Welcome to the Mistech Missions Podcast. Today we're going to talk about the importance of planting biblically faithful churches that reflect uh, the culture. We're excited to talk about what we've seen God do here. Um, learned a lot of valuable lessons along the way. Um, you know, just coming into a place where you don't, you don't really understand the culture and you can't speak the language and then, and then uh, trying to teach the Bible in that context without uh, reproducing all our uh, American traditions in the mixed tech culture, um, it can be a challenge, don't you think? Yeah, last night I was talking to uh, Ben Hameen and uh, he asked me a question. He said, he said, you know, I've been talking to the others and they're ready to start a church. Wow. Yeah, they're, they're, they're ready to start a church. And uh, so I told him kind of our ideas of where we think things are headed. And uh, that started a long conversation about the importance of them leading out in this. Right. One of the issues that he brought up was, he goes, you know, pretty soon we're going to have so many people that we're not going to have a place for them. It's a good problem to have, right? Isn't that a good problem, right? I mean, uh, uh, going from nothing to too many people uh, is, is a good problem to have. And so he, he was wanting to explore that with me, what that would look like to have a new place. And um, the other issue being that Emiliano, when he goes to speak to the authorities this week or soon uh, to renounce his role in the Catholic Church, uh, they're going to interrogate him about the name and the place of his church. Wow. So that's a, you just brought up a, another whole huge piece of the puzzle. Why don't you talk a little, about, a little bit about who Emiliano is and what, what this struggle is that, that, they're, that he's facing? Benjamin is the first believer here, and uh, we, we uh, worked with him for several months. He uh, came to faith, was baptized, and immediately began sharing the gospel with his uh, family, his brothers, his cousins, and, and the people that he knows here in town. He's very excited about uh, starting a church with his people. Uh, one of the guys who attends is Emiliano. And Emiliano now, we've started another group, another evangelistic story group, and Emiliano is one of those who attends. He's been Hamin's cousin. And he's been attending for a month now. And uh, this past week, it was made known to me that he is a cantor in the, the church in Yubanani. And uh, basically that means he serves as a lay priest in the church. He is responsible for um, praying out of the, the book of prayers for all of the people in the community. And because that church does not have a priest, he is responsible for the priestly duties in the community. And, and that entails uh, weddings and funerals and when people are sick, he has to go visit. When uh, All the things that a priest would do if there was a priest in town. Uh, he has a, a close relationship with the priest in our town who kind of has overseen his work. And he has decided to renounce his role in the church. And he wants to be baptized. And he wants to work with Ben-Hameen in starting a church here, which is really great, right? That is great, but it sounds like they're going to face some challenges. Uh, Daniel, what do you think about that, man? Like, how do you, how do you, what do you think that would be a good way to counsel him in that? Um, well, as far as, you know, leaving the church, he's recognizing that what the Roman Catholic Church is teaching is not according to the truth. And, you know, he sees what the Bible says, and that's what he wants to follow. 
And I think it's interesting that we're bringing in uh, talking about the Catholic Church here because we really see a bad example from them on how to try to accommodate culture within the church. Oh, absolutely. Because they're the one, they came in and they started letting, you know, even in Mexico in general, not just from Mung Mixtec, but adapting all kinds of prior beliefs and just kind of putting this layer of Catholicism over it. So long as you are coming in to Mass or confession or taking communion or, you know, the, the sacraments, then it's okay. And then you can kind of really go and do your own thing and follow your traditional beliefs all you want to. And so everything is all confused and it's a mess and people don't really understand. I mean, they're even farther removed from the gospel than say maybe a European Catholic would be. So, um, so that's not what we want to do as we are raising up a church and we don't want to just to take, okay, you can keep doing whatever you've been doing and we'll just uh, do it here in this place now and do it um, you know, with this name, but it's still the same thing. That's a great observation, man, about the Catholic Church. Like, so look at the examples that they have seen uh, of how to do church, right? It's, it's you produce the exact same thing no matter the culture. That's the example that the Catholic Church has shown them. That's the example that the Christian Church has shown a lot of these uh, communities over the years. Going back into the, to the 40s and 50s and 60s, it was... Let's, let's make the church, the Christian church in, in other countries look just like it does in the U.S. And that's what the Catholic church has done. So that's the example that they know. You guys are bringing up a great observation with that. Well, this is the challenge that we face um, living in this culture and trying to plant a church here is trying to remain biblically faithful to, to Scripture. What does Scripture say about being a disciple? But not just that, what does, what does a Mistec disciple look like? Because it's going to be very different than what an American disciple looks like. So this is the challenges that we're facing right now that they're facing as they're considering they want to start a church. Yeah. But the examples that they know of of what that looks like are, are going to be challenging for us uh, to get a, a, a disciple that is distinctly Mistec and not, uh, not something else. The way I explained it to him was, you know, there are different, uh, you know, of course he sells drinks in his store, and I was like, you know, there are all kinds of soft drinks. Each one is a soft drink, but it has a different flavor. You don't want to be what you're not. Um, I asked him, I said, you know, if, if I live in this community, and if I dress like you, and I eat your food, and I one day begin to speak Mistec like you do, will I ever be Mistec? And he just busted out laughing. He goes, of course not. Of course you can't be Mistec. Well, why is that? Why can't I be? And he goes, well, because your dad's not Mistec. You can never be Mistec. I said, why? I, I couldn't even pretend to be Mistec. It'd be foolish of me. You know, I, that's the point. When we want you to look like your Heavenly Father, but there is a, there is a way that it, that's going to look, and it shouldn't look like my... Uh, culture should it should reflect your culture so that when the people come in they see they see what a Mistec disciple looks like uh, because that's what's eventually going to reach the people of this area yeah I I think that's a great uh, alliteration great conversation it sounds like you had with him you know one thing we keep going back to as a team is um, our job is to teach the scripture and so we teach the scripture 
um, we teach the, uh, the, the meaning of Scripture and then, and then let them apply it uh, to the church, to their lives, through the lens of the mixed tech culture. And that's, and that's hard to do sometimes as the missionary because you come in and we have all this education and we have these experiences and we've been taught these different, um, you know, these different schemes and ideas of how to do it and had all these trainings and you come in and you want to apply this knowledge that you have, but how much is this knowledge that we bring to the table is, is tradition versus biblical knowledge. Yeah, and that means that we have to be aware ourselves of our own culture. It's easy to think that your culture is, is what the Bible says when it's just an expression of what the Bible says. And so, um, so we have to say, you know, are we teaching them what is absolute that they are supposed to do, that the Bible teaches them to do? Or is this just something that in my church we've, you know, just a tradition that we've added, not necessarily in a bad way, but just something that we do um, that's not bad, but not necessarily required by Scripture? Or is this something that, yeah, I need to do in Scripture, but maybe my expression is cultural and they have a different way of doing it. Maybe, for example, easy examples of the way they sing, the music they use. Oh, I don't want to just go and translate everything I know um, in my church and teach that to them in Spanish or Mixtec. They need to have their own forms of worship. Right. Um, and it's not bad if they're singing, you know, um, just as I am in Mixtec, but that's really not coming from their heart. And, you know, for them to be able to express it in their culture with, you know, their forms, I think it's more meaningful for them. And it's, it's what God wants. I think that's an awesome example, man. Another example is uh, discipleship. You know, some of the things we've encountered um, in, in Christian churches here in Latin America has been how they do discipleship, right? You got to sign up. You got to take a class. You got to take a test. You have to prove yourself uh, before you can be baptized. Um, that's the example that they've seen, you know what I mean? Um, but that's not the example we see in Scripture. And so what does discipleship look like for mixed tech? Jay, you've had the most experience with this, man. What, what have you observed? Well, I have found that um, mixed techs in general, I don't know if I've, I know of any mixed tech Christians yet that um, have thought deeply about what Mistech discipleship looks like. Essentially, well, let's look at it this way. Um, and, and all of the Christians that we know in this area, how would they define a, a Mistech Christian? Well, it's probably someone who stops going to the fiestas. It's someone who stops going to the, the witch doctor. It's someone who stops drinking. And if you do those three things, then, then you're a good Christian. And that's the, what they boil down uh, discipleship too. Come to church when you're sick and, and pray and uh, stop doing bad things in the culture. And that's essentially it. When they talk about uh, developing a love relationship with the Father or abiding in Christ or walking in the Spirit or even things such as learning Scripture and, and applying that to their lives, there is no concept of that. So even in the churches that I know here, I wouldn't even know uh, how they would even define a disciple, let alone how they would do discipleship, because it's pretty much non-existent. However, the challenge for us is, well, there's not a life way on every corner, so what do we do? I mean, we can't have, and, and so many of our, our, our new brothers and sisters are not confident in reading and writing, 
there's not workbooks. There's not, you know, discipleship has got to be so much more than the transfer of information to them. Uh, that it has to involve um, the transformation of their lives, but more so than just stop doing the bad things in the culture. It's one of the things that I like about our strategy is we don't just necessarily focus on the bad, walking in as outsiders and looking at the culture and saying, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, and this is what we're going to teach about. Instead, we are, like with, with our discipleship strategy, we walk through Scripture, basically teaching them how to feed themselves with Scripture, let alone not necessarily just teaching them what Scripture says. A little bit both in. I think, uh, I think what you mentioned is, is case in point to, again, we're back to the examples that have gone before us. Right. So a Christian, like you said, is somebody that doesn't go to the fiestas, comes to church and prays when they're sick and and make sure, you know, they're in church when the doors are open. It's a works based. It's a works based faith faced faith. And and it's just an exchange uh, for the name Christianity uh, over Catholicism with a different set of works. A works righteousness, works righteousness form of sanctification and. So the challenge for us, going back to the original point, uh, the premise of this, this podcast is how do we, uh, when we understand all of these aspects of culture, how do we guide new believers uh, who are at different places in their experiences with Scripture, um, how do we guide new believers to lovingly yet critically look at their culture? To select that which glorifies God and add that into their the church formation, and then to look at their their aspects of their culture and not in a critical way, not in a judgmental way, but aspects of their culture that uh, do not glorify God, and how to approach that in their church formation in a way that either getting rid of that in that aspect of their culture or redeeming that aspect of the culture so that the new church looks like Mestec culture, but is still remaining, it still remains biblically faithful. I, I go back to Daniel's example about the worship. You know, you talk about Ben Hameen, and he's told us about how he's part of this musical group um, that you know, they play the parties, they sing the, you know, the, the, the music that doesn't glorify the Lord, that encourages the drinking and the fiesta and all that kind of stuff. And, and I know that he's expressed to say, you know, I don't want to play that kind of music anymore. I want my group, my band members to get saved and we're going to play music that glorifies God. Like, I can't wait to hear what that sounds like. Well, you're going to hear it soon because uh, around the uh, turn of the new year, they're planning on going and recording music. Right now he is working on writing Mistech worship songs. Well, that is awesome. That is great news. I think um, going back to what you were raising a minute ago, Jake, is that you know, to, how do we guide them was the question to uh, select the things of their culture that are good and recognize the things that are not or contrary to Scripture. I think just one thing is just teaching them that, yes, there are things that are good. Don't feel like you have to reject all of your culture. And, um, and we've even seen already how they are kind of asking the questions. You know, they're recognizing things that are bad as they've been hearing the word, like, okay, well, I can't really keep doing veneration of saints. I really can't observe Day of the Dead, but is it okay to put flowers on a grave? Mm-hmm. You know, so they're, they're, they're kind of sorting through some of those things, and we need to encourage that for them to think through that and not just come in and give them the list of things they don't, that they need to stop doing. 
And I think our approach has been, here's what Scripture says, um, and then they're making the connections and the applications themselves. And that's not to say that we are never to point things out directly, because I think there probably would be a time and place for that. Um, but there is that balance of just being, we don't want to be like those that we mentioned before, of just come with a list of do's and don'ts, and it be more of the Holy Spirit's working in them and showing them the things that need to change. I think about it like the example we see in Scripture from the Israelites and all their fence laws, all their laws that they created to protect the, the Ten Commandments, right? And then Jesus comes along and He says, love your neighbor and love God, right? Teaching them to know God um, and, not, and let the Holy Spirit be the one to guide that and to do the work there as opposed to us trying to protect them uh, from falling into temptation of sin with, with our own traditions. It's very interesting. Um, I have observed that uh, they really have responded to this idea of God as a loving Father. Uh, they don't really have a concept of grace. Mm -hmm. They don't really have a concept of uh, a church that is a light in its community. It lives in such a way that they, the community sees their good works and glorifies their Father in heaven. But as we describe that to them, they can, they're beginning to see glimpses of, of what that may look like. Um, that there is another way between uh, their old religious beliefs and practices and what they've observed in, in, in other churches and what they can become. And so as we work with them, I feel like it is more of instead of just telling them this is what you need to do and this is what you don't need to do, I think it's more of this shepherding down this, this, this new path to where they discover for themselves as they look through Scripture the kind of church that glorifies God in this place. So let's talk about some ways that we can like some tangible ways, like how exactly are we going to do that with our time, um, with, with uh, our example to them? Like, let's talk about some tangible ways that we can do that or like how we're going to plan to do that, you know what I mean? Flesh it out. I think uh, to a degree we've already been doing it just as things have been coming up. And I think especially as we're dealing, working with new believers, the first believers, um, you know, where all these questions are being asked for the first time, and so they're just coming up as you and Benjamin, Chris, were having this conversation about the fiestas. And are there parts of that that I can participate in? Um, what can I not participate in? Like, since all this is going to be brand new and there's no precedent set, like, they're asking questions for everything. So that is, it's kind of this organic, natural uh, process at the moment as far as... Um, when it relates to maybe public behaviors. Um, but there's also the aspect, and we've touched on with the music, is not so much the what do I do or not do, but the, um, the cultural expression side of it too. Um, so I don't know how we give guidance to that specifically because um, we don't necessarily know what all that is, you know. Um, but I think as they are spontaneously, like Ben Hameen, wanting to write worship songs. Yeah. You know, and encourage them in that. We can give him guidance, you know, as he needs it, as far as the perhaps the theology or something. But 
it's already taken shape, you know, on its own. I, I love the, the, the organic. I mean, that's what we see in Scripture, right? Jesus did life with the disciples as they went. They, they did life, and he taught. And, you know, Jake, you've been doing, that's exactly what we've been doing with Ben Hameen and with these other guys. You know, you walk through uh, our evangelism story set with Ben Hameen. You taught a lot of these concepts uh, that, that somebody needs to know for salvation to occur. He got saved, and then he said, I want to tell uh, my other fa- friends and family about Jesus. And so you came alongside him and had involved in him. Uh, we've mentioned the mall principle like, tell us, Jake, about kind of how that process has gone and how you've kind of been doing what, what Daniel was talking about throughout, throughout that time. Well, our discipleship process, specifically with these new believers, uh, is more than just uh, filling their heads with new information. Yeah, it's all new to them in many ways, but more than that, it's expanding their uh, understanding and giving them tools that they can use to feed themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have uh, just been walking through the book of Acts, and the point being we want them to see what the first Christians, how they live. Not that they need to reproduce the culture of first century Israel in their church, but rather that they can see uh, the values and the behaviors. You know, been teaching them, you know, that his thoughts and his affections and his volitions need to be conformed to Christ. And the actual teaching has taken place where uh, we, have, we now have three, three story groups going right now currently, and one of those being the evangelism group, the other two being discipleship groups. And so the discipleship continues group is going through the book of Acts, and he is actually identifying, let's talk about uh, big idea issues. All right, and we're, I'm having him wrestle with it. For instance, this past uh, discipleship group, we did Acts 12. And so we talked about the, the death of James and the salvation of Peter out of, out of the prison and, and then what happened to Herod afterwards. And so we, we, we discussed that. And then we ended up in a discussion about, and I just put it out there, and said, we need to wrestle with this. Uh, two big issues. Why did the Christians who were praying for Peter, not, why were they actually surprised that God answered their prayers? Why, and so we, we, we dove deep down into that. What does it look like to pray with faith, to believe? And what do we do with it when God doesn't answer our prayers like he did with, he, he, he allowed James to die and he allowed Peter to live. So that was the other issue was why does God We'll just put it this way. God said yes to some, some of our requests and no to others of our requests. And I said, really, the, you know, I can give you different answers that may or may not satisfy, but you're just going to have to work, work through that in your spirit. And so not letting them, not sheltering them from the realities of Scripture, my goodness, why would we do that? They need to, they need to wrestle with that. What does it look like to, to pray in faith and what do we do when God says no? And then, then in our story group, this is where I think you were originally going, our evangelism group, uh, I have him sit next to me. And uh, because there are some Mistech only people, language people in the group, um, he translates everything. And so the, the, the point being is, 
He's heard it from my teaching. He's hearing it again as I'm teaching it again to other people. And now he's reproducing it at the same time, helping me along the way teach it to others. And what's interesting is I've overheard other conversations that he's been having and he is taking concepts that I have taught him along the way and he's giving it a cultural flavor and explaining it to them in ways that they're really grasping and like what how wonderful is that he took the truth and he put it in a, in, in a different way and then as we progress he'll begin to take the lead and we will sit alongside him and and give a little bit of a encouragement to him along the way but that's the idea is that we don't want to shelter them from the truth we don't want to say that you can't get out here and do what we see in, in Scripture. I mean, you and I, Chris, we've talked about it even when we've been in other, other churches, other villages. These, these believers here have exactly what we have, right? They have the Word of God, and they have the Spirit of God, and they have the people of God, and they can do it too. And so walking alongside them... Uh, so we, we know that in January we're going to start looking at church formation and bringing in these new believers and, and, and talking about that. What do you guys think about that process of when they come to us with the desire to form a church, what does our role look like with them? Now, under the, with understanding that all of this conversation about church formation has talked nothing about what does... A worship service look like which is really interesting that is an interesting observation um, man before we jump into that there was one more thought I had while you were talking and you told us a story because we were talking about how do we teach acts right and we were kind of discussing amongst the three of us like do we do like teaching points or do we like after we tell the story do we like have certain like teachings or, 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 or um, interpretations that we want to present to them and you shared an example for us where you told a story in the book of Acts and he just naturally, like his cultural lens, he brought something out of the story that you hadn't even thought of before. Well, that wasn't actually in the book of Acts, but that was actually um, the issue of the bronze serpent yes. in, in John chapter 3. And I, you know, in our culture, we don't really have images. We don't, we don't make images. Well, in this culture, that's a real issue. And that's part of church formation. What do we do with this, this uh, practice of, of image worship and things like that? Uh, but uh, they point, he, he pointed out, well, what about when Jesus talked about the bronze serpent? Didn't he say that that was okay to look at the bronze serpent? And I was like, I I, I don't know what you're talking about. I've not dealt with that before. I mean, like I, I know the story of the bronze serpent with Moses and Israel and the curse and, and how they had to look to the bronze serpent and, and those who looked at the bronze serpent were healed. I, I knew the story, but I hadn't ever really paid much attention to it because that's something that we miss in our culture. Right. I and mean, we don't deal with that. And uh, so that sent me on a, a chase through Scripture to, to find out more about that. But what was interesting is uh, he, he, he had picked up something in, in, in John chapter 3 when we were talking about Nicodemus, and then we went into John 3, 16. And right there in the middle of that is that, that, that passage where Jesus actually quotes about the, the bronze serpent, and he had seen it. And um, what was interesting is, uh, you know, after we talked about that, um, 
we had talked about what had happened with Hezekiah, how the, the bronze serpent had become uh, uh, an idol, and he, Hezekiah then destroyed it, and, and how Jesus says, like you look to the bronze serpent, look to me. And so we talked about that, and he got it. Well, then, then weeks later, he comes to me and he says, yeah, my uh, brothers and cousins were asking me about the bronze serpent and wondering why we can't just pray to images because Jesus said so. And he says, well, I just told him exactly what the scripture said. And uh, that uh, he, he went right back to it and explained it to them. And uh, well, that's an insight into how we, our, our culture kind of turns us to blind eyes to certain texts that we've read dozens of times, but we just don't see. So he saw it and I didn't. That's, that's, and I think that's a great example of what we're trying to do, right? Teach the scriptures, but allow the Holy Spirit to work through them. Be there uh, to help them understand the scriptures, to look for, you know, those things, but, but allow the Holy Spirit in them the opportunity to bring those things out that we're missing. Because if, if, if you just came in there and you taught that passage and you had these teaching points and you said, this is the story and this is what we learned from this story, you know what I mean? He might, that might never came up, yeah. you know, so. Well, I mean, it goes back to the way we teach, right? Yeah. Uh, it's very inductive. Now, many people would probably struggle with that and, you know, the abstract and the concrete thinking and patterns and uh, inductive and deductive and all that kind of, but what we have found is these men and women are intelligent and can reason through scripture. Right, because really the Holy Spirit is is their teacher. I mean, how many times have we heard them? You know, even with Ben Hamin, you know, he'll come out with something now and uh, that he that he had learned. He'll make a comment about something that he's learning, and we'll be I'll be like, well, how how did you know that? I didn't teach that to you. And he goes, well, I was just reading, and now it makes sense to me. Well, well, my goodness, the Holy Spirit now is his teacher, and. How wonderful is that? He's learning because the Holy Spirit is his teacher. Back to what does the church look like in the comment that we made about we haven't even talked about that, right? That's the topic of the thing. We haven't even mentioned it. Well, the people, we know what their lives are going to look like here, right? But not the actual function or the actual building and, and church worship and all of that. Well, I don't know. It, it's a tricky issue because, I mean, one, we don't want to set up, just say, a worship service to look like what we're used to. Because, you know, if we say we have our first meeting and we do, you know, the standard uh, Baptist call, you know, worship format, if there is such a thing, um, then, well, that's the precedent. That's how it's going to be going forward. Right. But to the other side of it is they don't have really a frame of reference to know what to do. So they're going to need some guidance. So at the very least, we need to teach them, well, this is what the Bible says worship involves. And then maybe help them think through, well, how do we want to organize that? Mm. And um, you know, what do you do when you have meetings? And, you know, mix tech meets together for whatever type of thing. What types of things are important to have? And there may be aspects or th uh, elements that we wouldn't even think of that are important to them. For example, you know, when we first started going out to the church in Dos Rios, you know, what we learned from them was, this idea of a meeting in a house, a house church, was just, they couldn't, they couldn't fathom that concept. Now, those believers out there, um, they were discipled in, the, in the, the, the older style format or the other style format where it's like a, a kind of more of a works-based, um, and they were taught that you need to have a building to come and worship in, and that's just how they were taught, and so that's kind of their, their theology. Uh, so it'll be interesting with this approach of teaching 
uh, through Scripture and the guiding of the Holy Spirit when it comes to making these decisions if, if a, uh, a set-apart location to meet in is important to them uh, based on cultural values like you know, if it's in somebody's house, they might receive more blessing than the rest of us or these kinds of things might enter in or if they'd be okay with a house church or maybe even a mobile house church. I don't know. Well, I don't know what specifically that would look like. I mean, we have our ideas with the missiology that we've been trained in what it, what it could look like. But this was the comment made to me yesterday. The people in this town won't think it's real or legitimate if there's not a building. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm not going to fight that because how you want to do it. I mean, can you have a building? Great. You don't want a building? You want to do it at home? Great. You want to do it in a public place? Great. I, it, that's that's in, inconsequential to me. But we got to work through that with them. You know, what does it look like? I think they really like the format that we've been using, sit around in a circle, and the teacher sits with them. But the comment was, but the people in town are not going to think that it's legitimate. And so... Well, I think, I think what you just said, Jake, is, is key to what um, we're trying to do differently here. And you said, whether they meet in a house or whether they meet in a building is inconsequential to me, right? Like, these are those gray areas in Scripture that we tend to bring over from our culture and imply based on our training and our experiences what's best practices and steer people towards a solution that might not be the right solution for them in their cultural setting. Well, that's what I had to tell him last <laughs> night because I felt like he was fishing for an answer. I'm like, brother, I, I'm not building you a building if that's what you're asking for. Uh, I, said, I said, if you guys want, you want a building, great, pass me a hammer. I'll, I'll, I'll come help you build it. Uh, but I can't build it for him. But that's what he wants. Yeah. Because then it's just, oh, let's wait for the Americans to come build us a building anytime we want to plant a church. And that's not what we want. And so if you want a building, well, you got to build the building. You got to raise the money for the building. And so, you know, that's their issue to figure out. That's not our problem. This is hard for us to share. You know, a lot of our folks back in the States are going to be hopefully listening to these conversations that we're having here in the podcast. And uh, this is kind of difficult, you know, for people to wrestle with because people just, their heart, they, everybody wants to help and serve the Lord and be a part of what God is doing um, in other places in the world through their missionaries. And um, could we, like, build them a building? Absolutely. A couple phone calls and we'd have enough money, I'm sure. And, and, and when they planted a church down the road in another Pueblo and they asked us to build them another one, I'm sure it wouldn't be a problem, right? I mean, we have the resources to, to do it, but... You know, I think um, is, the question we have to ask ourselves is, is that the best, best long-term reproducible model for these people? Or, or is, there, is there a better solution? Is them uh, making sacrifices on their own and in, in, in their own blood, sweat, and tears, uh, putting up a building, donating the property, and being that example of how to be uh, to recognize everything that they have coming from their loving father as opposed to from uh, the missionaries from another country. I uh, heard a wise, experienced missionary make this observation one time. If you look in Acts you, or all of the New Testament, even in the, you know, the Pauline letters and such, you never see money flowing from the parent churches to the planted churches. The only time money's ever going, it's the church planters sending it back to the mother church to help them. You know, so they're taking out the offering to send back to Jerusalem, but you never see Jerusalem sending money to help 
help a, a new church start or to build a building for someone. And so I'm just not saying that it's wrong. I mean, it's not necessarily prescriptive, but it's interesting to me that at the very least, we don't see that that was the common practice. Um, and I think we need to listen to that and um, be very careful about uh, sending money and uh, assuming that these uh, people in a developing country need our money and they can't do it without our money. And I don't think that's the right attitude and it just breeds all kinds of problems and dependency and paternalism and, and that's not what we want to see. We want to see churches that are sufficient, that can plant other churches um, without needing um, all the support from the outside that if you took it away, everything would fall apart. Yeah. I mean, obviously they need help or we wouldn't be here. Uh, I mean, right. it's not like it's just going to spontaneously happen, but there is a type of help that we bring that's biblical, and then there's a type that is not necessarily healthy. Well, the type that we bring is how can they believe if they haven't heard exactly. and we're here so that they can hear. And I'll just put a plug in right now for all our people back in the States who are supporting us. Um, the, where we need help is we need personnel. That's, that's, that's what's going to get the gospel to the ends of the earth, not building church buildings or sending medical supplies, but personnel, people going um, and, and learning the culture, learning the language, and, uh, and being there to teach the word um, and to do life on life. You know, that's, that's the need. That's how we're going to reach the lost. And I think as we you know, conclude this, we need to keep in mind just sort of the theological angle of this is you know, God likes cultures and peoples he doesn't want us all to be monolithic. You look at the vision in Revelation uh, chapter 7 of all the peoples from all tribes, languages, you know, tongues, and nations together. They're distinct. You know, John was able to recognize they're all different. They don't look the same. And that's good and that glorifies God because God is not just the God of the United States or of Western Europeans. He's the God of all the world. He's the God of all peoples. And so when we have these expressions, um, you know, localized expressions of our faith and our worship, um, that brings glory to God. And we don't want to smooth out all of that and just make everything cookie cutter and the same. And even in Revelation chapter 21, there's a verse, it was talking about the New Jerusalem. It talks about the kings bringing the glory of the nations into the New Jerusalem. And um, that, along with some other texts, I think that means is that the things, the good things of culture is going to survive and, and be in heaven with us. And so we want to encourage that and not think, make people think that they can't be mixed tech anymore if they're going to be a Christian. Well, uh, that's a lot of good information uh, uh, that to, to talk about. Uh, walk alongside them, let them work through it, uh, embrace the good aspects of their culture, uh, and, and just allow the Holy Spirit to be their primary teacher uh, as we, we just live life with them. And the church that results will be one that glorifies God and one that is culturally recognizable. And so that's what we're hoping to move towards. I think um, I just want to thank everybody for listening. And uh, if, you've, if you've, the conversation has been interesting, um, you can kind of connect some of the dots by checking us out on uh, Facebook, Instagram, and, uh, and our, our YouTube channel. Um, we'd love to hear your comments and uh, hear some feedback and support from you in those, those areas. So thank you for joining us.